0: Good morning. We have worship this morning in song. You may have noticed over the last few weeks we have been worshiping without any drums. That's because the grand total of drummers in Sovereign Grace Church Sydney at the minute is zero. So if you are a closet drummer out there, Let us know. If you want to start, then start before letting us know, because we don't want to put anybody up there. The drums are too loud. Next week, and for a couple of weeks, actually, we've got some of the drummers from Paramount coming out. It says, thou shall not covet another person's church. They have three drummers. That's selfish. Selfish. So some of those guys are going to come back and serve us. Please make sure you thank them on a Sunday. But if you want to play drums, let us know, because we could certainly do with the help. We have worshipped the Lord in song, and now we get to worship the Lord through the preached word. And so let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to Luke. You want to stay in? Do you want to listen to me or do you want to go to your class? Okay, bye. <laughs> See you guys. We have an honest relationship in our home. Um, no one's guessing. Where they stand. Well, for the rest of us that can't go to Congress, Turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 14. You know, I don't want it ever to grow old, the privilege that we have of listening to God's word preached to us. It is great to worship the Lord in song, but it is a holy moment to gather around God's word and just to read it as it is. This is the way it was spoken. These are the words of Jesus now let's read together Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. If you want a title for this morning's message, I've called it Dinner with Jesus. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, There's someone more distinguished than you may be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and that you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind... And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, "Well, Blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, "'I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. "'Please have me excused.' "'Another said, "'I have bought five yoke of oxen, "'and I go to examine them. "'Please have me excused.' "'Another said, "'I have married a wife, "'and therefore I cannot come.' So the servant came and reported these things to his master." Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. And so the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my Banquet. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that we get to gather afresh around your word today. I thank you for the joy that it is to spend time with you and to hear you over my voice speaking to us and addressing us as saints today. Lord, would you be with us in the preached word? Would you be with us as we listen? Would you be with me as I preach? And would it all be for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are certain things that happen in our lives that as we look back, you get to realize that was a complete setup. Have you ever had those moments? I know I certainly have. I think, for example, when my family decided that they wanted a dog. I am not that into dogs prior to this dog, who I love with all my heart, but prior to that moment... I'd never grown up with a dog. I'd never been around a dog. I was not that into dogs, but my family became seriously into dogs. When it was first broached, I got told they're probably about $50, $100, something like that. I'm thinking, oh, it's still a lot of money. I'm not sure if I want one. That was not true in any shape or form. But they find this dog that they really like. Actually, the dog that we have now and what they did was they sent a picture of this dog that they'd found online to various family and friends around the world. And I started to get a series of texts saying, I've just seen this dog and thinking of you. Ping, 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 <laughs> ping, ping, ping. It is a set up. There is then a list given to me by my children of at least 10 families that would look after our dog should we go away. None of them have looked after our dog when we have gone away. <laughs> It was all a complete setup. And there are certain times in our lives, when you look back, you realize it was all a complete setup. And this moment for the Pharisees and scribes was one of those moments. As far as they're concerned, they've just invited Jesus over for dinner. They've done all the inviting. They're going to do the questioning. They're going to do the examining. They want to be with Jesus. And yet in reality, this has all been a complete setup by Jesus himself. Because as the sovereign one of all, he's got some things he wants to share with them. See, examine the scene. It's a dinner party in the home of a prominent Pharisee. And with all the Pharisaical friends around him, it is all taking place on the Sabbath. If you've been following in the Gospel of Luke, you will be thinking to yourself, I think I've seen this movie before. Because you have. How many times have we seen Jesus on the Sabbath day around Pharisees? Well, at least three times. In Luke chapter four, we see Jesus casting out demons and then heals Simon Peter's mother on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are appalled, thinking this to be illegal and a violation of the law. In chapter 6, we see Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are greatly troubled. In chapter 13, we see Jesus healing a woman who is bent over double on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are again at angst. Well, in comes a man to this dinner party on the Sabbath with the Pharisees present. And he's got dropsy. We have seen this movie before. It is the Sabbath day. There's a bunch of Pharisees around, and in comes an incredibly sick man. Now, dropsy is what we today call edema. It is the process, the disease, where your body begins to retain excess fluid. You just can't get rid of it. So you keep drinking water all the time, but your body doesn't urinate properly. You don't sweat properly, so you effectively swell up, and you are dying from the inside out. This man was incredibly sick, likely terminally sick, outside of a miracle at this season and time, 2,000 years ago, he is going to die. And it's a miracle that he gets. As he walks towards Jesus, Jesus stops him and he prays for him and he says, man, go, go free. You are healed. And he sends him away. This man has had his life completely turned around and changed by Jesus as Jesus steps in and heals him. And the Pharisees, all they can do is sit there in stunned silence. Why? Because they have also seen this movie before and they've seen what happened to the Pharisees before. Jesus asked them, point blank, is it legal, is it lawful for me to heal somebody on the Sabbath? Well, they've seen this movie before. If they say yes, then that's going to be really awkward. Because if they say yes, then they believe in their oral law, their Mishnah, that it's wrong to do this. So if they say yes, they're violating their own Mishnah. But if they say no, they look like total douchebags. Because they would be willing to get like their donkey out of a well on a Sabbath. So how is it wrong to heal a man on a Sabbath? So what do they do? They say nothing. They are completely silenced by the Saviour. Jesus has once again healed a man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees give no reply to his questions. And what you realize is this whole thing has been a divine setup. And it's a setup because at this dinner party, Jesus is going to wonderfully and graciously go after these Pharisees and these scribes' hearts. They're sold. See, so though they were the religious leaders in Israel at the time, the people at this dinner party were, were tragically just so far away from the kingdom of God. They would keep their legalistic thoughts to the minutiae. And yet they had totally missed the point of the law. They neither loved the Lord, their God, with all their heart, mind and strength, nor loved their neighbor like theirself. In headline, they worship God in, in, in theory, but in heart, they're far from him. They are lost. They are legalists. They are lost. They are not part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus knows this. So in grace and mercy, he goes after their hearts. They think that they've invited him. But in reality, this has all been a divine setup so that he can speak to them. And in going after their hearts, there's really one thing in this passage That he seeks to placard before their eyes again and again and again. And it's this. That in all of life, pride is always our greatest enemy. And humility, our greatest friend. He knows that that truth has the potential and power to completely transform their lives. He knows that's what they need to hear in this moment. And in his mercy and grace, this is inscribed in scripture for us because he knows this has the power to transform our lives as well in all of life. Pride is always our greatest enemy and humility, our greatest friend. So three points this morning. Number one, the parable of the wedding feast. Number two, the problem of the host. And then number three, the parable of the great banquet. But really just one hope that our lives would also be transformed by this dinner party and that we would get to see that pride really is our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend three points is the first number one the parable of the wedding feast verses 7 through 11 see jesus has by now healed this man of edema This man has been dramatically and wonderfully healed by the Savior and then been sent away. And yet Jesus has been carefully paying attention all the time to what has been going on around him, including where they are sitting. Verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. See, whenever you sat with a group of Pharisees and scribes, if you paid attention, this is what was happening. They always wanted to choose the places of honor at the dinner table. Imagine a wedding scene. Where do these Pharisees and scribes go? Straight to the head table, just to the right or just to the left of the bride and groom. Because they're the places of honor. And that's where they want to be. They did it at every dinner time. They want to sit with the host. They want to sit at the head of the table. They want everybody to notice them. Why? Because to a Pharisee, their lives were completely and utterly about themselves. The most important person in their lives by a long way was themselves. Their favorite subject and topic of conversation was themselves. They were profoundly selfish and self-absorbed. They were proud. You know, if you ever fly like I do, I fly all the time. You see this all the time on planes when people are getting on. In particular, you see it in the United States when you get on planes, You are standing in a long line. People, I'm there with my little backpack because, you know, I don't want to be selfish. Americans are there with this bag that is bigger than anything I've seen in my life, all wheeling them in. And the the announcement always comes in, um, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, there's far too much baggage amongst us. If you could please voluntarily put them into check-in, that would really help us. Does anybody move? Not a single person. Everybody traipses on this plane with these massive bags. They're chucking other people's bags and they're shoving them in. Why? Because this is all about me. And then at the end, you start to land, and they come in. They say, "Can everybody keep their seatbelts on until we've stopped?" What do they do as soon as we've landed? Cling, cling! I'm getting my stuff. I'm moving to the front to get out. Why? Because people are totally self-absorbed. Their favorite topic is themselves. People like to think about themselves. That is exactly what the Pharisees are like you. Their favorite person is themselves. They are selfish. They are proud. Jesus addresses that. He wants to love them and care for them and go after their hearts. So verses eight through 10, he gives them some common sense advice and, and wisdom. He says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast... Do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame, I would call the walk of shame, to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Jesus describes a scene here and explains to them, imagine then you're at a wedding feast. You rock up as the Pharisees. Your favorite subject is yourself. You want everybody to notice you, but here's the thing. Imagine you go and sit at a place of honor. How awkward is it when the host comes and they pat you on the shoulder? Oh, excuse me, sir. Yes, thank you. That's not your seat. Your seat's over there. That's really embarrassing for everybody, is it not? It's embarrassing for you, it's embarrassing for the host, it's embarrassing for everybody present. And so I suggest that you just go ahead and sit at the back in the first place. Understand who you are, humble yourself. He gives them right up front some just wonderful common sense advice and wisdom. But to think that is all that is going on here is a massive mistake. Because what Jesus also is doing is addressing them here about a principle of the kingdom of God. An axiom about the way the kingdom of God actually works. And he brings that to the fore in verse 11. Look at this. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. He's not talking there about some dinner party. He's talking about the way the kingdom of God actually works. The first will be last. And the last will be first. You see, in the kingdom of God, we have to understand this is always the way it works. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is something that Mary, Jesus' mom, recognized before Jesus was even born. You remember in a song in Luke chapter 1? Before Jesus is even born, she sings this wonderful song given to her by the Holy Spirit about what her son will be like, what he will value. For he who is mighty has done great things. And in Luke chapter 1 verse 51, she says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate." See, she's explaining and already singing that her son is going to usher in a kingdom where the mighty will be brought down, but the humble will be exalted. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In this kingdom, that which is applauded, that which is praised, is not pride, but humility. The Pharisees didn't get that. They never really understood that. And so in Luke chapter 18, for example, the Pharisee begins to pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, even like this tax collector. Because they think they're better than that. Check me out. I'm holy. I do so many things right. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not like him. And then the tax collector responds as he prays saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes as he sees that, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. My friends, this is such an important lesson, is it not? Because what Jesus is helping us see here is that in all of life, pride is always our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. He wants them to understand what it is that is applauded here in this earth, what it is that is applauded in this kingdom of God. It's not pride, it's humility. The Pharisees needed to understand this. They needed to grasp this because they were a proud people. But The more I've thought about this text, the more this week, the more I've realized I think we need to hear this as well, do we not? So the Pharisees were self-consumed and selfish. And the truth is, for all of us, I think it is so easy to drift towards the same thing in our lives, is it not? It's so easy to find ourselves wanting to be served, rather than to serve. It's so easy to find ourselves wanting attention, rather than to give attention. It's so easy to find ourselves... None of us, I think, naturally drift towards selflessness. Have you noticed that? I don't think many people drift towards my life. It's just all about other people. No, we naturally drift to, I want my life to be all about me. Why can't people notice me? Why can't people serve me? Why can't they do things for me? I think we all find that hard at different times. I certainly do. But selfishness ultimately is pride. It is what about me? My world is about me. And in Isaiah 66 verse 2, We are told, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite of heart. He's talking there about an eye of the Lord that will go across the world. And who is he looking for? Those that are humble and contrite of heart. Those who love the Lord their God with all their heart and those that want to love their neighbor like themselves. This is what C.S. Lewis says about humility. He says, true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. Isn't that wonderful? That's what true humility is. True humility isn't going around saying, oh yeah, I'm just awful. I'm just awful. I'm just awful. No, that can actually be very proud. That can be very attention seeking. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. You Pharisees, You think it's all about you. You think it's all about you getting the best place at the table. You think it's all about you being acknowledged in the marketplace. I want to tell you, you exalt yourself and you will be put down on that last day. But you humble yourself, then you'll be exalted. In this kingdom of God, pride is always our greatest enemy. And humility, our greatest friend. That's not only talks about at this dinner, he addresses the dinner, dinner party and then he starts to address the host. He has a few words for him as well. And that's point two, the problem of the host. And look with what he says in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. See, this is, I think, immediately a confusing one. I mean, all these guests are friends and family and members who can repay him. Here's what's going on here. They are all living a dollar-for-dollar social life. It's, I'll invite you all over for my dinner party, and then you can invite me over your dinner party next week, and then we can go to your dinner party the week after that. It's like, I'll help you. Why? Because you'll help me. They were having the time of their lives. So the only people they really invited was their friends and their family members that could repay them. And listen, Jesus is not discouraging here spending time with family and friends in hospitality. He's not. Jesus himself regularly accepted invitations to such gatherings. One of the most beautiful things if you study the life of Jesus is his friendship with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. It was clearly a deep friendship for him. He spent time with them and he always came away encouraged and refreshed. And we all need those type of relationships, do we not? Jesus is not knocking those relationships but what he is saying here is if that is all we have and all we offer in terms of hospitality, then without doubt there is something radically missing in our lives. Because in the kingdom of God, we're called to far more than that. We're not called to some type of dollar-to-dollar social life. No, he explains. Verse 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. My friends, is that not challenging and provoking? Because when I read that this week, I was profoundly challenged and provoked. Because what Jesus is sitting down to talk to you and I about is simply this. That we need to make sure in our lives we're not just looking for a dollar to dollar social life. But we are bringing people into our homes and our lives that can never repay you. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I discovered that. Again, this week, I was reading this, studying this, wrote down. I I often work at home on a Friday when I'm writing my message. I ran into Emma and said, let me tell you about this. And I went into preacher mode because it was just like, this is infectious. This is groundbreaking. I think we need to hear it in Sydney because I don't think we naturally think, I'm going to have a social life. I'm going to bring people into my house that can never repay me. I think we naturally think, who can I have over and enjoy life with, hoping that maybe I can go to their house sometime later. You know, as I was challenged by this myself and generally provoked, I couldn't help but think about our dear Coyote and Christina and the way they've lived their lives for many years. I've probably known Coyote and Christina for probably 20 plus years, and they've never changed. I remember when we were in Wales. And one of the reasons why I admired this family is because they lived in a place called Blackwood, which would not be a wealthy area of Newport and that area. But they lived in a house, and whenever I would go to their house, there was always oodles of people in their house who I've never met. Usually single moms that would be like 17 years old, and they're just hosting them and looking after them. People that are homeless or affected, they're just kind of hanging in the house. And I was like, man, you guys are the real deal you know Cody and Christina, they've been foster carers for some time over several children. And they haven't always just had children, younger children, particularly previously, that would just sort of repay them with some type of applause. It was obviously just selfless. I'm just going to give myself to you. And as I watched the way Christina lives her life and Cody live their life in terms of SG care, they're constantly just with people who are unlikely to ever repay them. And I thought, Well, I thought I thank God for your life. I thank God for your example because Karen and Christina are giving themselves away to people who will not repay them. And I think that is exactly what Jesus is talking to us here about living our lives like. My friends, if we don't have time to live like that, then maybe we've said yes to too many other things because this is a call of God on our lives. In all of life, Pride is always our greatest enemy and humility, our greatest friend. Why is humility our greatest friend? Because it's the humble that live lives like Cody Christina. It's the humble in verse 14, we read that they will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What he's saying here is on that day, because you have given your life to serve people who will never repay you, I will repay you. Because on that day when you're raised from the dead, you will hear my applause, you will hear my well done, and you will receive a kingdom of your own. What a day that will be when we get to applaud others. Listen, church, next time an opportunity comes up then to serve in SG Care, don't just delete it on the premise, oh, I hope somebody else has time for that. But maybe really start to consider in your own life, maybe I'm meant to be doing that. Maybe I should say yes to that. The next time some leaflet or email comes through about foster care and you think, oh, that must be really hard, I can assure you it is. It's a nightmare at times. It's very difficult. Don't just assume, oh, I'm never going to do that. You know, I've got my nice little house. Maybe that's exactly what God wants you to do with your life. Giving your life away to people that may never repay you. Don't assume when opportunities come up in our church that are hard, that are harder yards, that I hope somebody has the time to do that. Maybe the Lord's given you the time to do that and you need to be stepping forward. Will they repay you? Doubt it. But one day you'll stand before the king and you will hear his applause. That's what it's all about. In all of life, pride is always our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. And to help drive this home, then Jesus gives one final point, number three, the parable of the great banquet. You know, by now it's clear that Jesus has intently addressed everyone in the room and it's likely to be quite frank that he's offended nearly all of them. (laughs) I mean, he's told them all they're proud. He's told them all they're missing the point. They shouldn't even be inviting these people over anyway. I mean, he's really addressing their hearts. I mean, you could cut the air likely with a knife, I think. I mean, we're just inviting him over for like pizza and drinks, and now he's slagging us off, you know? This is hard for them, and so one person actually, one of the guests actually does indeed seek to attempt to cut the air with the following exclamation, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard those things, he said to him, well, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. (laughs) That's the way it's written. You know, no one's saying anything. I doubt they're eating anything at this point. They're just sort of sitting around. And what this guy is saying is, listen, yeah, but yeah, yeah, they're true. Thanks. Thanks for that. But blessed is everyone, the right, who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You see, there's no doubt that this was an attempt to move the conversation along. <clears throat> and in essence, his comment there was representative of the corporate confidence that no doubt pervaded everybody in the room. Because this is what it's like. This is what he's saying. He's saying, well at least blessed, you know, people like us, who will eat, who will de- definitely eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. I mean, at least we'll be there on that last day feasting, right? I mean, in spite of all that you're saying, and we hear what you're saying, and thanks for that, but at least we'll be there, right? Amen, amen, great. Yeah, pass me the salt, pass me the condiments. That's what's going on. They're trying to divert attention. At least we'll be there. That was the corporate confidence of everybody in the room. We're Jews, we're Pharisees, we will no doubt be there at the banquet. And Jesus, quite quite frankly, could not let that go. This was a misleading corporate confidence. It was incorrect. And for their soul's sake, and for every one of them, he could not have them with thinking, false assurance, that the banquet will be their eternal home. He couldn't do it. So he goes after their souls. It's what he says, verse 16 to 17. He begins a parable. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say that those who had been invited come, for everything is now ready. See, this great banquet that Jesus is talking about here is the great banquet of the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's talking about the last day. He's already talked to us about it in Luke chapter 13. We see it displayed before us in Revelation 19. It is the great marriage supper of the Lamb, the moment where there will be a feast in the heavenly realms and people will worship the Lord from every tribe and language and nation before him. It is the consummation of time and the great marriage banquet and supper of the Lamb. And what a moment that will be. David Gooding says it this way in his commentary. He says the metaphor of feasting, as distinct from merely eating a meal, assures us that no potential appetite, desire, or longing given to us by God will on that day prove to have been a deception, as all will be granted their richest and most sublime fulfillment. For the great banquet is a lavish, sumptuous image of the kingdom of heaven that will be exceeded only by its reality, namely joyous satisfaction, And of course, the ultimate convener and host will be Christ Jesus himself. Oh, my friends, what a day that will be, don't you think? What a day that will be when we see his face and we cry out, worthy is the lamb from every tribe and language and nation with feasting and eating and drinking. The great banquet is all about the great marriage supper of the lamb. And the servant that has been sent to tell people about it in this story is Jesus. He's the one. The servant is Jesus. He is the one who has come into the world to tell people the time's now. You've all been invited and I've come to tell you that I have come so that you can really seal that invite. So that this invite can be yours. So that this great banquet you can come to by putting your faith in me as your Lord and Savior. Jesus is the servant who is announcing it all. And then come Verses 18 through 20, three of the lamest excuses you've ever heard in your life as to why, oh, I can't come to the banquet after all. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, well, I bought a field. and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. (laughs) I mean, these are the lamest excuses in the world. The first dude says, well, I bought a piece of land. Who buys land without looking at it first? No one, there lies the point. That's a stupid thing to do. This is just an excuse. The next one says, oh yeah, and I bought 10 oxen and I haven't really seen them, I should go see them. What? And then the last dude says, the lamest of all, oh, and let me think, oh, yeah, I got married, so I can't come. What? (laughs) It's insane. And that's the point. Jesus is helping us see. People give all sorts of insane excuses as to why the kingdom of God shouldn't be where they live. And it's important to know that all three of these excuses fall under two main brackets. Possessions and affections. And when you stop and think about it, those two banners of possessions and affections really do cover the vast majority of reasons why people don't put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and want to go to this banquet at all. Because of a love for possessions, or because of affections, particularly relational affections, that they don't want to give up. And if it comes to a choice then of choosing Jesus or this person, I'm going to choose this person. That's what he's talking about here. Kent Hughes says it this way. He says, Jesus offers the kingdom a perpetual feast of peace, a feast of help, guidance, friendship, rest, victory over self, control of passions, supremacy over circumstances, a feast of joy, tranquility, deathlessness, heaven opened, immeasurable hope, indeed salvation, Yet people turn their backs on this feast, preferring instead a visit with their possessions and affections. Isn't that true? And my friends, for each of us in this room, we all did that once upon a time in our lives, didn't we? We had possessions or affections that just mattered to us far more than following Jesus as our Lord. And So that's what we did. And in truth, that's what the Pharisees are doing in this moment as well. They loved the praises of men far more than they loved the praises of God. Their world was like this big. As long as they felt good, life is good. And as far as they was concerned, because of my nationality and the color of my skin and my ability to pursue holiness just by myself, I'm sure we'll be at the banquet anyway. I'm a good guy. And Jesus wants to help them see that's actually not true. And he gives them then in verses 21 through 24 the reality of what is actually taking place as he tells them about some extended invitations. 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, i.e. the excuses. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. So the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You know, there's no doubt that for every, for every Pharisee and scribe gathered in this room on this day that this would have been a drop mic moment. This would have been profoundly, profoundly informative for them. I mean, for a start, Jesus is telling them, listen, you know, this banquet, this great marriage supper of the Lamb, it's never going to now be open to the outcasts, which is what he talks about in verse 21. Historically, the physically challenged would have been barred from full participation in the worship of the Lord. And in addition, given their limitations, they would have often been poor, social outcasts. They would have lived in the streets and in the lanes. They were totally humbled in the way they lived their lives. And these Pharisees, quite frankly, wouldn't have wanted anything to do with them. Oh Jesus is saying, you know what? The invites have gone out to the streets and the lanes now. You're blind? Come. You're lame? Come. You're an outcast? Come. There's a great place at the dinner table for you. There's a great place at the marriage supper of the Lamb for you. You're all invited. And then he starts to talk to them about the Gentiles, which is what he's talking about in verses 22 and 23, when he mentions the word highways and hedges. Who lived along the highways? Who lived along the hedges? The Gentiles. And Jesus is saying, you know what? They're invited too. See, historically, the Gentiles would have been considered by the Pharisees to be second-class citizens. And when I say second-class, you've got the Pharisees, and they're like the rest of us. The gap would have been huge. They wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. And what Jesus is saying, you know what? At that great marriage supper of the Lamb, they're all going to be there as well. Through faith in me as their Lord and Savior, I'm going to make access open to them as well. They are going to be seated around the table from every tribe and language and nation, singing, worthy is the Lamb. This was the message that the Apostle Paul himself would take out from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, including us in Australia. Aren't you glad? Jesus is telling them right here, this is exactly the way it's going to be. The outcasts are going to get an invite as well. You're all invited. The Gentiles, you're all invited as well. And then he addresses them in verse 24. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus is looking them in their eyes at the moment. This would have been profoundly offensive to them. As far as they were concerned, surely they were going to be at the banquet. I mean, they had the original invites, didn't they? The law, the prophets, the temple, the wisdom literature, the Jews had it all. But what Jesus is saying here is, listen, unless you humble yourself, Unless you realize you're not there because of the color of your skin or because of your accent or because of your heritage. The only way to this great banquet is through faith in me as your Lord and Savior. For in this life, pride is always your greatest enemy and humility, your greatest friend. You don't get to the banquet because of a heritage or a nationality. Because of the color of your skin, you get to the great banquet through faith in me and faith alone. My friends, what an unforgettable dinner this must have been. And it was indeed a complete setup. They think they're inviting Jesus over for a few snacks. Well, he's invited himself over because he's got a few things to share with them. He wants to go after their hearts. And this message that he has to give them in this moment about pride always being our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend had the power to completely transform their lives, completely change their lives. In the same way as a divine setup for them, it's right here in Luke chapter 14 because it's a divine setup for us as well. As his followers, he wants us all to hear it, all to be addressed by it. It's so easy to point the finger at the Pharisees and think, what idiots, and yet forget that there's three fingers pointing right back at us, addressing who we are. And so, how do we respond to this message? How do we respond to this dinner? Well, quickly, just two things. The first way we respond, I believe, is by humbling ourselves and putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. My friends, don't be like the Pharisees, they were near but not in. They were near because they saw something of the kingdom of God, but they were not in because they never humbled themselves and asked for help. If they didn't put their faith in Jesus, they didn't think they needed him. In fact, he irritated them and challenged who they were. And yet the Bible makes it clear as Aaron read out for us this morning, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible makes it clear, whatever nationality we are, whatever our heritage is, whatever the color of our skin, we've all messed up before God. We've all fallen short before him. That's why Jesus came, to give his life as a ransom for many, to seek and save the lost. And he makes it clear then in his word that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. My friends, don't not choose Christ because of some possession that you think, but if only I have this, it will make me happy. Or some girl or boy that if you think, if I only have them, I think I'll be happy. That's what possessions and affections are all about. The sum of all you want is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. And this great banquet of the marriage supper of the Lamb, I don't want any individual to miss because it will be the greatest moment of your life. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a moment that in his kindness you get to start to enjoy even now as you know what it is to be forgiven and adopted and have a Savior who loves you and knows you and speaks with you and helps you. So humble yourself and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then number two, the second way we respond, I believe, is by humbly considering others more important than ourselves. Brothers and sisters, it is so easy to drift towards selfishness, is it not? It's so easy to really enjoy being served, but not really want to serve. And if I do put my hand up to serve, I'm going to make it something as easy as I possibly can, so I can tip the box. Whereas Jesus' service was laying his life down as a ransom for many. He doesn't applaud pride. He applauds humility. That's why as the Father's eyes go to and fro the world, he's looking for people who are humble and contrite of heart, who love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind and strength, and who love their neighbor like yourself. My friends, would we be those men and women, amen? Would we be those people? Would we lay our lives down for others, whether they can repay us, or not and would it all be for the glory of God let's pray Lord I do thank you for inviting us to attend this dinner this morning I thank you that we got to pull up a chair outside of the Pharisees and the scribes and listen in to your words and watch what is happening Lord I pray that our lives would be transformed as a result Pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. Lord, would you help us to pursue humility in our lives? Would you help us to consider others more important than ourselves? Lord, help us not to be selfish. Lord, there's no way we're going to be able to do this by ourselves. And you tell us in your word that you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. And so, Lord, as we begin this vision... Would we minimally humble ourselves and recognize, Lord, I cannot do this without you. I need you. And so Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to live this life by your grace? And would it all be for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.